Hi everyone, welcome to Frankly, the energy podcast for founders. I'm your host, Siobhan Clark, where I'll be dealing it straight to you from entrepreneurs who have scaled and failed, investors who are passionate and seen it all, and leading tech voices that are looking to build moonshots to change the way we live. Welcome everybody to another podcast, a frankly podcast from BP Launchpad. My name's Steve Cook, and this is part of a series of conversations that we are having with the CEOs, founders, and senior staff in uh, some of our portfolio companies in Launchpad to give you all a a little bit of an insight into the journey that uh, some of these companies and individuals have, have been on. We're very excited today to welcome David Hill from Open Energy, which is one of our newer entrants into the Launchpad portfolio. So welcome, David. So good to have you here. And uh, so David is the Chief Commercial Officer at Open Energy. And just maybe introduce yourself, David, to tell us a little about who, who you are. So, well, thanks for having me, Steve. It's, yeah, it's uh, very exciting to be involved and get a chance to tell our story a bit. Um, so yeah, I'm David Hill. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer. Um, so I oversee all of our commercial growth globally, sort of look after revenues and strategy and sort of sort of market analytics but yeah been with the business for 10 years and seen us sort of grow from a pre-revenue sort of R&D type focused business all the way through the different stages of commercialization right through to this um, exciting sort of next stage of our story with Launchpad and sort of BP. Brilliant so that's um, that's been quite a journey and we'll, we'll delve into that I think a little bit in the course of the conversation but before we before we go there, maybe it would be good to just introduce the company Open Energy uh, a little bit. Um, Open Energy came into Launchpad only a few months ago. And so, yeah, just maybe a little bit about Open Energy and what Open Energy does. So Open Energy is a, you know, we are part of a neat sort of a digital energy ecosystem. And we sit what we believe is the heart of, you know, uh, solving the problems of the energy energy transition. So Open Energy is first and foremost a software business that optimizes energy storage. Um, you know, go into sort of a level down in a bit more detail. Um, when there is an abundance of renewable power, whether that's wind or solar, power is cheap. Um, so we can get to store, to charge up batteries. And when there is a sort of dearth of renewable power and we have to sort of look elsewhere, power becomes expensive. Um, and sort of on an individual level, you know, the software platform can choose as when the optimal time to charge and discharge batteries. Naturally, this problem gets sort of infinitely more complex as you have a network of batteries, both large and small at different parts of the power system. And I guess one just last thing is, you know, it's the sole reason for this type of technology is really to enable that sort of transition to a net zero power system, but all in a way that doesn't compromise affordability or reliability. The complexities mount and mount as you have more renewables assets on the grid, as you have more storage capability of different kinds linked up in different ways. It actually gets to be a very, very complex problem and one that's important to, to optimize so that the most renewable energy possible finds its way into the power system, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's all about, for me, it's like trying to make sure you can route the cheapest net zero electron at any given time at any moment on any place in the world to where it's needed. And so that's really all about, you know, if, for instance, on a UK level, if the wind is blowing in the North Sea, you want to get access to that electron because that'll probably be the cheapest bit of power you can get at that given time. However, if it's not blowing, then 
maybe the cheapest electron might be the sort of solar panel on your roof or it might have come right. from yes. the electric vehicle that has been somewhere else for the day and it's at any given time cost of sort of running the power system will change subject to what is sort of creating that power and we sit at the heart of that problem of making sure we're rooting it at any given time putting it in the battery to store up to use at a later date and yeah as you say like at a national level, it gets pretty complex. On a global level, it gets really complex. Yeah, absolutely. And you're an Open Energy is a UK oriented company right now. Is that right? Yes. So, sort of, we started in the UK. The UK is actually probably one of the world's leading marketplaces for this type of technology, just because one of the leading markets in renewable energy, one of the leading markets in terms of liberalised power markets, and it's all given rise to lots of disruptive models and ones that we can export to the world essentially, as other countries follow in the footpath of what we've done here. It's an incredibly exciting time, as you say, an exciting market to be in, be growing from, and and just again for people to understand a little bit better around the business, what kind of customers do you serve what at a larger level we target what you'd consider as sort of independent power producers i guess is what they're called sort of large renewable energy developers people who own and operate renewable energy assets increasingly now are owning and operating battery storage assets and effectively you could think of that as just a big battery sitting in a field with an electrical connection to it and you know first and foremost our priority is to make as much money most most money out of that battery as possible so they sort of are standalone energy owners sort of energy asset owners but then as you sort of move down through the power system we also work with large energy users so heavy and heavy industry water utilities um, metals and sort of uh, producers and there we sort of work by sort of putting storage behind the meter to help them again island their sites at certain times when mm. they can u- utilize on-site renewables but then we go all the way right down to the residential consumers as we optimize electric vehicles to help them again all on their challenge of going towards sort of a fully renewable sort of home the cheapest possible cost so it's every we touch every single part of the sort of power system but i, I guess for now you know i guess we can go on to this an enormous amount of the challenges businesses like us faces you know we can do many things but it's all about focus and scalability a significant amount of our focus is on the grid scale infrastructure because that's is the part of the power system that is moving fastest at this point in time yeah understood you mentioned a 10-year journey basically it would be it would be fascinating to hear you know how that how the company has come come to be where it is and the journey that you've been on with it because you're probably the closest thing the, the company has to to a founder uh, having been through the journey from from start to where we are now so and I always think it's fascinating to hear the you know the origin story and, and the journey that different companies have been on because they're always so diverse yeah I, I agree and I think you know if part of this sort of podcast is to reach out to people who are you know thinking of starting sort of exciting new businesses that are all going to be part of this net zero transition I think so much of open energy story is definitely one of you know never giving up and having conviction <laughs> belief of where you're going because it's it's definitely not been a straight line by any stretch of the imagination so i've been with the business 10 years but even the founder and the sort of the original ip and inventor sort of actually i think it was some of the ip was registered back in 1999 it's a long wow. time ago um definitely we have all the hallmarks of a, of a technology company that really did come to market way too soon in some in some respects mm. and we had to sort of get creative to constantly sort of iterate and change to survive and then we find ourselves at this really exciting place now where you know, all the market is unfolding in front of us. So the origins were effectively how we could turn the world's network of domestic fridges effectively into one large sort of battery effectively by sort of turning on and off domestic fridges and sort of 
aggregating micro sort of thermal storage by turning off a fridge. Oh, wow. fridge. That would effectively create one enormous battery, but sort of at a very low cost level. And I think vision was sort of not that dissimilar to what we're doing now. Effectively, by bringing in renewables, you needed more flexibility. You needed low carbon, flexible energy or storage. And this was, you know, before lithium ion storage or any types of form of storage was around that sort of strategy we were able to prove that that technology worked but there was no real economic benefit for doing it really we were earning something like three pound a fridge or something like that and so right but so you know but the actual sort of the theory of it was working we could actually prove that you could displace thermal power plants by sort of turning off and on sort of thousands yes. and thousands of yeah. fridges pivoted that strategy into the industrial world and commercial world where we sort of took bigger sort of like you know industrial refrigeration and then sort of took similar concepts of all types of flexible power so heating as well and then any types of motor and sort of pumps and all these ideas and that sort of grew out of this level of being able to adjust power sort of demand in real time with no impact on the consumer and that was I think the thing that's stuck with us today which is we can't have this transition with any sort of compromising any sort of productivity or standards of living that was sort of a thing that's always stuck with this which is we must be able to flex our power system without you know impacting people's lives and then you sort of keep go to where we are now and effectively the, the sort of core of the business remains the same it's a sort of it's a software business aggregating a network of technologies but now effectively the focus is on storage just because our obsession with mobile phones is sort of and sort of electric vehicle has sort of brought down the cost of lithium-ion yes. technology to the level that is now capable but it's that's a quite a long journey in terms of how we've had to do that and We've had roll back a few times and sort of go back to the drawing board, but and sort of start again. And we've been very ben- grateful for that. We've had a lot of patient and sort of committed investors along the way that have enabled us sort of to sort of you know stay the course. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. There's a, what's what's powered the resilience, if you like, through that journey. Were there were there times when you and the team were sat there thinking, actually, this isn't going to work out? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there definitely were moments. I don't know. I was like, have I backed mini disc, you know, or something something like that. But I think one of the things that was really important is again, from the onset, we always were sort of committed to IP and R and D and sort of technology. And we sort of had a lot of unique capabilities. And I think that gave confidence in our investors that we were doing things that fundamentally at the time, other people just couldn't do. Mm. even, Even to this day, I think we're probably one of the only companies globally that any type of water utility would entrust to us to optimize their equipment in response to power market signals. You know, this is like yeah. critical national critical national infrastructure. So I think we always had a core technology that was doing something unique and we've mapped a lot of that and we've created IP and how we manage battery storage. So I do think, you know, IP and sort of real, real sort of focus on technology was sort of enabled us to sort of have investors that were committed right. to that. Yes. Um, but I'd also think we, we had to sort of, you know, be honest with ourselves and sort of suppress egos and sort of make sort of brave decisions to stop doing things, even if we'd invested years of time in doing it, because we've recognized that the market was moving. And we say, you know, you had to scale back in certain places. And so it requires that sort of conviction, but also, I guess, something that I'll probably talk about a bit, I guess, in leadership as well is like conviction, but also suppressing that ego at times and having the ability to sort of say that was wrong. We've got to stop that. We've got to go somewhere else because otherwise... Yeah, they try and survive. I know you just mentioned leadership, and that was one one of the things I wanted to touch on a little bit, which is in the journey of of open energy as a company, and therefore what lessons there might be for others listening. Which is OE has not really had a a CEO. You've run with an executive chair until until 
the company came into Launchpad, and I guess you're as well as being the chief commercial officer right now, you're effectively acting as a, a CEO. But that title hasn't hasn't been used for anybody coming through through the OE journey, really. And so, so how has that affected the trajectory of, of open energy? Any any lessons, good or bad, from that model, really? Yeah, I mean, I think it starts off by the fact that we we've ended up in this position, not necessarily because of the journey we've been on right because i think the founder left the business a very long time ago and yeah. sort of, as we sort of as the technology and the sort of the idea had different investors come on board and because we've had, existed for quite a long time there's been a number of different leadership teams and i've sort of grown within the business from sort of you know start off as an analyst within the business and i think our, our last major round of investment prior to the sort of sale to launchpad was was definitely seen as the real big one this is the one which was going to was the really make or break one for us and yeah. that um and that required a sort of a, quite a large strategic shift of focus and that's where we really began to pivot the business towards energy storage and when that happened our i think our investor actually sort of put in place a executive chairman principally from yeah. the point of, of real governance making sure that we're being very doing all the right things we should have do in terms of sort of making sure we we're managing sort of you know money because it was um it was a period of time where we we needed to be really focused on what we were doing just you know yes. to move beyond move beyond some of the exploration phases of the technology to real focused rapid commercialization and i think some of the benefits if i'm honest was that it created a real culture of empowerment and leadership sort of throughout the whole business not just in the leadership team because mm. we were a small business and you know when you work for small businesses you often have to sort of um you know, fight above your, you know, your weights, you know, you have to yes. sort of punch above, punch above your level because you're, you're often competing, you know, you might have a new brand, novel, unique way of doing things, but you're so often competing still with large incumbents who are doing things, doing stuff in different ways. And so everyone, everyone has to be somewhat a leader, right, within the business to sort yes. of just take own ownership of stuff. And I think that model that we had whereby, you know, effectively the strategic decision-making was sort of get left to the senior leadership team and the exec chair was sort of managing the investor relationship. But I think what it did create was a strong sense of empowerment and leadership within mm, the whole business, which re- remains. But I, you know, but then I'll, the counter is that I, I still think, you know, leadership is so important in early stage business. And I think um, one of the challenges we've had as a business over the years is a sort of a lack of a North Star, if you will. Uh, yeah. Sort of. Um, of that sort of conviction of focus I think lots of us all retain that within us and I think everyone has that absolute commitment to understanding of why we exist and what we're trying to do to achieve net zero but there's no substitute for that sort of strong leadership of creating that not just from commercial strategy but sort of morale and why everyone gets out of bed in the morning yes yeah there's you know? the, the, the clear purpose for the organization yeah. what's your view on what it takes to be successful and to be differentiated in this space as a smaller company? For us, there have been three things that we focus on around making sure we stay ahead of the competition. And I think one is real commitment throughout everything we do. As you sort of build out all these different sort of types and assets that are located at different places around the country, the sort of the decision-making becomes really complicated and far too complicated for an individual trader to be able to make on his own. So a real commitment to automation, because that's around mm. unlocking the most value because in this world of energy as a service as i said it's somewhat like horses for courses like in in the uk in certain places it's really an offshore wind story but then if as soon as the offshore wind stops it's around making sure everything else sort of is working in concert together whether it's the electric vehicle the rooftop solar or you know whether you've got some demand response and all of that requires complex automated decision making but you know 
in other countries it might be a solar story but so yes. it is all about automation because it's just the decisions we have to make are too close to real time and too multifaceted to be done without benefits of machine learning and ai it doesn't mean that you know you don't have some human oversight at them at a portfolio level to make sure you're managing risk well and I'll, I'll get onto that a bit later about managing risk but automation is um, absolutely key that's number one i think number two is a real commitment to understanding there is no silver bullet in this power market in terms of uh, decarbonization it, you know any all all sort of paths to net zero and if there are many different scenarios, all incorporate a range of technologies, you know, from battery storage, yes. electric vehicles, to hydrogen, to demand response. And it will not, you know, whilst there'll be some winners and losers, it, it's clear that no one thing is going to dominate our power market. It's not like, you know, <laughs> not like oil from where we've come from, which was this sort right. of omnipresent right. yeah. thing that you could just, was the same everywhere in the world. And it was just, you know, could power the world. Like, the net zero system so what i mean and so in delivering that net energy as a service all businesses are going to have different requirements which will require different sets of technologies and therefore if you sort of match that automation with a sort of a diversity of experience so that's why we think for instance we can sometimes have a, an edge on someone who's solely focused on electric vehicles or someone who is solely focused yeah, on yeah. storage heaters because actually to get the best out of that electric vehicle it needs to work much more sort of in unison with a bigger system um so i guess automation don't know sort of diversity of experience with sort of different asset types and the last one is fundamentally why we're excited about managing bp it's like it's managing risk basically and um and that's something we were not able to do no, fantastic. I mean, that's a, that's a really comprehensive overview, I think. So uh, one final question for you, David, which is more sort of personal to you and in, in, the, in the journey that you've had that you described earlier. So any significant leadership lesson, I guess, that you've learned along the way that's been really important for you? Sort of referenced it earlier up in the thing, and it's something I think about a lot, is how you find that balance of conviction and self-belief that can inspire confidence that, you know, not just in the market but in your team but also how you balance that with uh embracing sort of you know vulnerability in certain areas where you're not you don't have the answers to everything and that's the whole point of like having a great team and i think steve jobs said it best you know you don't hire smart people and tell them what to do and sort of how you know you you want to basically have that ability to power everyone within your team and sort of make mistakes if but then you know show highlight where you made a mistake and show you where, where you went wrong because that sort of builds confidence within a team and so have that ability to balance that sort of strong leadership and conviction but ability to sort of be okay with making mistakes and listening to your team and getting the answers from them and I think that's just it's something I think about constantly basically and how you kind of foster that sort of because when you get that right you feel bulletproof as a team right everyone feels so yes. connected yeah. everyone feels so connected to what you're doing Brilliant. And that's a, that's a great note to end on. Thank you so much, David, for joining us and for sharing your experiences and, and insights. It's been great to talk to you and good luck with the next phase of, of Open Energy's journey. Thank you for having me, Ian. You can find Open Energy, that's energy with an I, at openenergy.com. And uh, please check out BP Launchpad on LinkedIn as well. We will leave it here.